0: Our, our text for our, our sermon this morning is Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. And I just, uh, I just wanted to take a minute and just share this thing. I, I thought this was pretty awesome. Uh, one, of my, one of my friends shared this on, on Facebook this morning, and I just thought it was very very pertinent. But this is, this is what it says. It says, The first Easter didn't happen at a church. It happened outside of an empty tomb while all the disciples were sequestered in a home Grief-stricken and wondering what was going on, so we're all going to keep things pretty biblical this Easter. I, I, I just love that, and, and that's what we see in, in Matthew 28, 1 through 10. So this past week, my, uh, my little extrovert Elijah, he, he climbed onto Karen's lap, snuggled in, and, and twirled her hair like he does when he's trying to get something out of her, and said, Oh, so sweetly, Mom... We are always in our house. Can we go somewhere? It's amazing how different kids can be like just so different from each other. Silas is is such a homebody that when we were going on vacation last year, he asked if we could strap the house to the roof of the van so that we could take it with us. Elijah, on the other hand, he can't wait to get out of the house. We were having a conversation about this the other day, about how Elijah is such an, such an extrovert. And in fact, we, we think he's the most extroverted of our children. Now, when he heard this, Judah piped up saying, I like to get out of the house and go do fun things. And I responded, Judah, this is true. You're not wrong. But your little brother is so much of an extrovert. He gets excited about going grocery shopping and going to the doctor because it gets him out of the house. To which Judah replied, yeah, I, I don't like getting out that much. Yeah, me neither, bro. Me neither. We're about a month into social distancing, and my kids, my family, Karen and I, I mean, we're all climbing the walls. Our, our dog is probably the happiest. You know, She thinks it's great that she has us all around her all the time, but, but for the rest of us, it's getting a bit overwhelming. We've been in our house so long that even Silas is looking forward to leaving it. And like we talked about last week, we don't, we don't know when this will end. We don't know what next week will look like to say nothing of, of next month. And so we sit in our houses, and, and in this time of social distancing, we can begin to feel uncertain about what the future holds. We, we can't do the things that we want to do. We, we can't get out of the house and take in a meal at our favorite restaurant. We hope that our favorite restaurant will still be there when we can Get out of the house. You know, we, we, we can't go play at the playground. We can't go to the zoo. We, we can't go hang out with our friends. No evening trips into the city. No date nights. No game nights. We're stuck largely within the, the four walls of our house unless we're running to pick up much needed groceries, heading into our jobs where most everyone else is either laid off, working from home, or unable to interact with us, or, or, or we're taking a walk through our neighborhood. That reminds us of the situation we're all in by how incredibly barren and abandoned and quiet it all feels. When will it stop being like this? When will it stop feeling like this? We, we don't know. And the uncertainty can be overwhelming. And with uncertainty, there, there often follows anxiousness. There's so much that we don't know. And, and so there's so much that is out of our control. The news isn't exactly famous for reporting the positives. Our social media timelines are clogged with depressing-looking graphs, political friction, and doomsday memes. We don't know what uh, what work is going to look like. Will, will we have jobs when this is all over? Will stores still work the same way? Do we, do we get to go back to the mall? Is, is this going to cause us to lose our movie theaters? I, I even heard that this may totally do away with shaking hands as a form of greeting. Now, some of us are probably cool with that, like, we're, we're totally down with that. But for others, it's like, what? No, like, that's, that's something I enjoy. That's something I, I like doing. It's, it's, it's comfortable. It's natural. What is the world going to look like when we all come out of our caves and leave our masks in the trash? Do we get to leave our masks in the trash? Not knowing the answers to questions that mean so much to us breeds anxiety. And anxiety is not a comforting roommate. And along with anxiety and and the feelings of uncertainty is the isolation, right? Now, I'm living in a house with my wife, five boys, and a dog, and it may seem like I'm the last person that should be talking about isolation. And, And I get that. I get it. But I will say this. I love my family, but I miss my friends. I miss spending time with people. I miss enjoying a movie together. I miss sharing a drink or a cigar or enjoying deep conversation. I miss the spontaneous laughter. I miss watching sports with my friends, sitting on the edge of the couch, totally engrossed in the next pitch or the next shot or the next kick or the next throw. I I miss sharing meals together. I'm surrounded by people I love. It's very true. But I still miss the people that I love. And I know that some of you have no one to spend time with. Some of us don't live near family. Some of us have lonely apartments. Some of us have significant others or fiancés that we rarely get to see now. For one reason or another. Maybe we felt isolated in the business of life before the coronavirus hit our nation. And now the continual silence and the ever-present droning of Netflix just remind you of how isolated and lonely you really feel. Well, friends, church, if you feel uncertain, anxious, and isolated, you're not alone in that. A few thousand years ago, there was another group that was feeling uncertain, anxious, and isolated. The disciples and the other followers of Jesus were, were scared out of their minds. And their hopes and dreams had just come, just come crumbling down around them. They had spent three years following a man around, being shaped by his teaching and astounded by his miracles. This had this really seemed like the guy, like, like this was going to be the one. This had to be the Messiah. He was just checking way too many of the boxes. They were just so sure of it. And then, and then Judas happened. Judas and, and, and the Pharisees and, and Pilate, their teacher, had been betrayed. And through this betrayal, he had been handed over to the governor and put on trial. And the governor, to keep a riot from breaking out, had had ordered their teacher, their mentor, their leader, they had ordered him put to death. And so Jesus, their dear friend, had been crucified at the place called the Skull. And now, and now they felt uncertain, anxious, and isolated. They had followed a man who had now been declared a heretic. A man who had died for his heresy, That, that this heresy he'd been accused of. They were, they were linked to him. The ties that, that they had to their old lives, those are now strained. According to their courts and to popular opinion, they had spent three years being linked to a madman. And so they hid in their houses, completely uncertain and anxious about what their futures held. And so for the disciples, their isolation anxiety, and uncertainty, it it began to turn into doubt and to fear. What were they going to do? What were they going to do? If if they left their houses, they could be arrested. They could, you know, maybe not be put on a tree, but they would be arrested, jailed, and possibly put to death by some other means. Or maybe people didn't care enough anymore. They'd killed the leader. Maybe the courts wouldn't care about who his followers were. Except that now... Now they had to live with the shame that they had followed a heretic. And and if they were confronted, what what would they do? Would, Would they stand firm? Would they speak against this accusation of heresy? And stand firm in what they had once been so certain of, that Jesus was the Messiah? Or would they do what one of their strongest, one of their leaders, what Peter had done? Would they deny him? Is this what God wanted? Jesus just checked so many of the boxes. How could he not be the guy? How could he not be the Messiah that they had waited so long for? And so the disciples, they're they're stuck in their houses, uncertain as to how to move forward. Their their whole world turned upside down and, and their shame just set before them. And we understand the shame, don't we? Sitting in isolation, uncertainty, and anxiety doesn't tend to bring out the best in people. In fact, it it tends to cause us to focus on what is worst about us. We get more self-centered. The parts of our personalities that we're not so fond of begin to, to creep up to the surface. When we are isolated, uncertain, and anxious, it is, it is oh so easy to enter self-preservation mode. Our, our vices become so much more attractive because we want to feel better, and they make us feel better for a little while, at least. And then, and then our shame knocks on the door, and we realize that we've we failed again, and what follows is guilt and depression And we want to feel good again, and and, and the vices are, are right there, and so our shame is never far away. How are you doing with that? And where do we go from here? Well, this is a sermon, and this is Easter Sunday, and I've been talking for a while without having read a scrap of scripture, so I'd say it's just about the perfect time to find out what happened in Jerusalem those many years ago and see if it has any implication for us today. We read our our text, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 11. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee where you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. pray this in your name. Amen. Well, thank God for women. All the men are are huddled together trying to figure out what the future is going to look like, right? And the women are like, you know, that's cool. Do do your thing. Do what you need to do. Make all the plans and, and try to figure out where we go from here. And while you're doing that, we're going to go, and we're going to go bless the memory of our friend. We're going to go do what, what needs to be done. We're going to go and treat the body of our friend and teacher and give it the respect that it deserves. And, and so they set off to this grave, but, but when they get there, what do they find? The stone has been, has been rolled away, and, and the entrance of the tomb or from the entrance of the tomb, and the angel of the Lord is chilling on top of it. He's just he's just hanging out on the stone, and the guards are so scared of him. They're like dead. They just fainted. They fainted dead away. They're laying on the ground, and, and the angel is chilling on top of the stone, and the ladies are understandably freaked out, but the angel says, do not be afraid. I, I know that you're here looking for Jesus. Don't be afraid. He who was crucified, he, he isn't here anymore. He's no longer here for he has risen just like he said he would. Come, come and check it out for yourselves. You, you can see this is where they put his body, but it's here no more. And then, and then go and tell the disciples. Tell them that Jesus has risen and that he is going ahead of you and that he will meet you in Galilee where you will see him. I have now delivered my message. Go. Go. And the ladies, know they glance around the tomb, and then they run to meet the disciples, understandably freaked out, right? Like, we we get this. They're super excited, but they're a little freaked out. And on the way to meet the disciples, Jesus meets them. And he greeted them. And there on the road, they worshiped him. And, And then Jesus, after having spent some time with them, sent them on to get the disciples. And we think, Wow! I mean, that's pretty awesome for the followers of Jesus. They got their friend back, right? They got their teacher back. They got their leader back. He's, he's miraculously risen from the dead. They don't have to feel shame about their beliefs anymore. They have been justified. They weren't just following some heretical madman. They don't have to live with that shame anymore. It's easy to see how Jesus rising from the dead has an immediate benefit for his followers back then, but what about, what about for people today? Why is Christ rising from the dead so important to us? Why do we celebrate Easter? Why is this such a big deal? Because Christ rising from the dead is everything. It's everything. It's just as big for us today as it was for his followers back then. As the women were running back to tell the disciples, and as the disciples digested this information, they didn't even realize how big it was. At that precise moment, they couldn't grasp the full implications of what Jesus rising from the dead meant, not only for their present physical circumstances, but for their deep spiritual needs. The same deep spiritual need that that each of us has the need to be reconciled to God. God wants to have a relationship with us, with you and with me. But he couldn't have the relationship that he longs to have because of our sin. God created us, yes, he loves us, absolutely. But he couldn't have the deep, personal relationship with us that he wanted to have with us because our sin had had separated us from him. His perfection could not be in relationship with our sin. And so he sent Jesus. Sent as a baby, fully God and and fully man. Since he was fully man, he he faced all the temptations and struggles that we face, right? He had to be potty trained. He he fell down and, and skinned his knees. His voice changed. He went through puberty. And he was tempted by sinful vices that each of us is tempted by. However, being fully God, he did not give in to temptation, but lived a sinless and perfect life. When his ministry began, he, he went and collected a, a motley crew of men whom he befriended, taught, and, and instructed. He performed miracles, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, and unwrapping the mysteries of the scriptures. while well, at the same time, laying out a few mysteries of his own the established religious system was not on board with this new teacher. They did not like his insights. They did not like his following, and they feared his power. And so his enemies arranged for his betrayal, his, his trial, and his conviction, sentenced to death on a cross. And though his enemies arranged it, this had been the plan all along. This is why God had sent his son, for as Jesus carried that cross up the hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull to Calvary. He bore not just that chunk of wood, but also the sins of the world, the sins of the past, the sins of the present, and the sins of the future. He bore it all to the cross, and to the cross Jesus traded his perfection for our sinfulness. Becoming so intimate with our sin that the Bible tells us that he became sin. Jesus became sin on the cross. And there God abandoned him. For as we remember, God could not have relationship with sin. That was, that was the whole problem in the first place. And so because Jesus bore our sin, became our sin, God abandoned him and and let him die. And in so dying, Jesus paid the price for sin, the price that we could not because of our sinfulness. But you know, all of that is just a sad story. It, It doesn't mean anything if he didn't also rise from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated death. Death, along with Satan and his followers, man, they had claimed victory on Friday night. The Son of God hung dead on a tree. But with the resurrection, Jesus solidified his power over death. He ended the celebration of Satan. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 verse 9 that because of his resurrection, death no longer has mastery over Jesus. He cannot die again. Death has been defeated. Where, O death, is your sting? Where, O hell, is your victory? And so when we believe in Jesus, as Jenna read for us earlier today from Colossians 3, when we believe in Jesus through faith, we have been hidden in Christ. In in Galatians, Paul says that we have been been clothed with Christ, covered, covered in Christ, so that when God looks at us, when we believe in Jesus and, and God looks at us, he doesn't see the sin. Instead, he sees his Son. And so through faith, We get the benefit of Christ's actions. We get the benefit of his righteousness. We get the benefit of perfection before God. And man, do I need to hear that. As I sit in these isolated, anxious, and uncertain times, and the sin that I struggle against but continue to commit is is continually thrown in my face. And the shame that follows fills me with with guilt and reminds me that I am totally unable to be good enough or to do enough good or to stop from doing what I hate myself for doing. I need to be reminded again and again and again of how Jesus conquered my sin by rising from the grave. That because of the work of Jesus... I am forgiven. Do you need to hear that? Christian, rest in the truth that because of Christ's death and resurrection, when you repent of your sin, you are forgiven your sin. And through faith in Christ, you are covered, hidden in, clothed with Christ. And you stand before God, righteous and justified. And if you do not yet have faith, know that this is a free gift. Faith is a free gift that that God longs to give to everyone. We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. God longs to have relationship with you, friend. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why Jesus died. And praise God that he rose from the grave. Jesus rising from the dead is everything. It's the basis for our hope. Though we live in a time of isolation, anxiety, and uncertainty, though we have questions that we are not going to be given direct answers to, like when will this all end? And will life ever be the same? Or like little Elijah wants to know, when can we go somewhere? Though we struggle with the uncertainty of life, it is so comforting to know that there is something we can be certain of. That we can rejoice in a risen Savior and have confidence in the hope of a fantastic eternity forever with Him. I'm so thankful for the empty grave that the women found that day. Though typically a grave is silent, this empty tomb speaks volumes. It tells of God's power. It tells of His love. It tells of His grace. It tells of his forgiveness. It shouts. It proclaims that our Savior lives. It gives us purpose for the present and hope for the future. He is risen. He is risen indeed. What a wonderful, fantastic, all-powerful, gracious, loving, and forgiving God we serve. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you have done for us, for all that you have given us. We thank you that you conquered sin, that you conquered death, that you paid the price that we could not. Jesus, I just thank you so much for reconciling us to God. God, as we sit in these uncertain anxious, isolating times. I pray that you would be with with each of us, Lord. I pray that you would protect us, that you would comfort us, that you would guide us, that you would encourage us. God, we just thank you for your word. I thank you for the comfort that it brings. I thank you for the hope that it brings. I thank you that it is truth. And God, we bring all of this before you today as we pray in the way that you taught us to pray. Our Father, our Father,